May I suggest that you get paper and pencil ready now? And as you listen, and as you listen carefully, write down. Write down. And if there's any other real issue that one might come up with as a means to saying that God isn't reconciled to them or God isn't pursuing them or God isn't talking to them or God has turned his back on them, the thing about it is, is that it is finished. There is no reason now that we can't have full access to God in any unimaginative way possible because our imagination fails in comparison to the pursuit that God has for the reconciled creation that was brought forth of by the death of Jesus Christ. We need to bring peace to the darkness. Reap these aspects, seasons of love, and the heartless sympathy. Father, the father, the state persists on top of this. Have faith to we find prominence, find freedom for the optimist. When we start working from the position of the spirit, when we start working with God, we no longer boast about the things that we do, but we humbly point people back to the person that works through us to do all these good things. Take the light the dark. That's what we do. We overcome evil with good. And so creation is waiting for such a time as this. Creation is waiting for sons and daughters of God to rise up and manifest the kingdom on earth. Hey everybody, welcome out to this week's podcast. This is a recording from this past Wednesday where a group of us got online on a Zoom meeting and we just discussed some of the things that were going on in Luke chapter 5. Now, there's some crazy times going on right now. We're not able to gather together in person. So this actually served as a great opportunity to kind of launch this podcast as an opportunity for people who wanted to go deeper and they want to meet with others who are local to them. And so it was just a bunch of us from Vale Church on this call. And I hope that it blesses you. We go into a lot of detail about what Jesus is talking to you in Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26, when he questions the Pharisees. And he says, what is easier, to tell this man his sins are forgiven or to stand up and walk? And if you know anything about the story of the paralyzed man in Luke chapter 5, his friends have to bring him to the house. And they want to bring him to the house so that he can get healed by Jesus. But there's so many people outside the house. The houses weren't very big. They're one-room type buildings. But their, their roofs were, were patched together with different sort of tiles. And so his friends carry him up on top of the roof. They remove some of the tiles and then they lower him through the roof right to where Jesus was. And it says that Jesus, seeing his faith, told the man, your sins are forgiven, which then incites a bunch of complaints and grumbling amongst the Pharisees. And that's when Jesus has a word of knowledge type prophetic word, hearing their thoughts or understanding or perceiving their thoughts. He, he questions them and says, what is easier to do, to tell them that his sins are forgiven or to tell them to stand up and walk? But is what Jesus says to the man after having this exchange with the Pharisees that blew my mind. Because he poses a question to the Pharisees for a very specific reason, and we talk about it in this meeting. But then he tells the paralyzed man something else. And so if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 5. Be ready. 
I'm going to introduce that in the call as well. But to open things up, we're really trying to discuss what we believe about God and what does God believe about us. And our friend Amy, she shares a story about where God broke through in her life and healed her foot and really changed her entire perspective on how God sees her. And if you're anything like me, you go through seasons where you really question Sometimes you question God's existence, and sometimes you question God's intentions, and sometimes you question the way that you are perceiving or interpreting God's actions, thoughts, or words towards you, and I'm with you. I went through that after Bible college and actually wrote a book about it. It's available on Amazon right now. It's called Fly, Gaining Perspectives on the Ideas of God. It was after I graduated with a ministry degree from Bible college in 2008 that I really struggled with, man, if this is what the Christian life is about, it's way too hard. I never really doubted God's existence, but I doubted everything that I needed to do to please God. And it was actually just a misunderstanding of what this life is and that he showed me what it means to be a child of God and what my journey then took off as when I moved from this place of doing and religious obligation into this place where I got to just be a created son of God that gets to enjoy his presence and then do life with him in partnership with his Holy Spirit. And that was all made available to us through Jesus Christ. And this is what I love about Luke chapter 5. So we're going to get right into it. I'm excited to talk about it. I look forward to hearing from you guys. If you want to be on the next call, it's on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Email me at nolanryanrecker at gmail.com. I'll see you there. But I just want to kind of like lead into uh, what we're going to talk about in Luke chapter five, Amy, with your yeah. story of what you experienced when Trey and I um, prayed for you. Yeah. Um, so back, what was that? Um, fall rooted. Um, I was training for a marathon and um, ended up with a stress, stress, stress fracture in tendonitis in my left foot, which ended up putting me in a boot. Um, and I was in a lot of pain. I would say, um, I feel, I mean, I think everyone feels like they have a high pain tolerance, but I, I really do. And, um, walked into rooted week one of rooted, um, and, uh, getting ready to facilitate, uh, and, um, uh, Nolan came up to me. I was not in a good, I was not in a good headspace. Lynn had just told us in our training that we just needed to like suck it up and be our best selves for our rooted people. Several of them are in here. Um, and I was like, Ugh. I was probably about a six out of a 10 with the pain um, when I would walk. Um, and so Nolan came up to me and said, Hey, can I pray for you? And I was like, Ugh, okay. Yeah, you can. And he said, can I touch you? And I was like, yes. And so he, but a super skeptic, um, I know several of you guys know this story, but um, Trey was there, Trey and, and Justin, my husband, and uh, he prayed and he um, had his hands on my foot and I felt a, like a physical warmth come out of him into my foot. And, um, and then I was super freaked out, but kind of just thought, oh, that's just like, you know, um, maybe like adrenaline or whatever. And he 
finished praying um, in Jesus name and then said, walk. And I was like, you know, okay. And I did. And I was freaked out. I mean, zero pain. I went from a six out of 10 to zero pain. Um, the doctors told me I'd be in a boot nine weeks. I never wore the boot again. No, that's really good. And that's, and that's one of those things like Amy's also been a part of that. And this is, this is part of what I want out of this call is because, uh, in one of those situations that Amy walked up and saw somebody, there was also, I don't know if it was the same woman, Amy, but, uh, there was a situation with somebody who was having, uh, she had like, she was sick. She had clogged ears. She couldn't hear out of her ears. And, you know, in that situation, um, she wanted prayer. And I was like, hey, you know what? Can I have Amy pray for you? And Amy had no idea. And so I'm so glad you're on this call. Amy, it's actually, this helps me out a lot. But um, I called you over and had you pray for her. And she actually experienced breakthrough that she wasn't experiencing while I was praying for her, which is very important because it's not about me. And this is what I'm going to get into today because it has a lot to do with our mindset. So for some of you, we all, like all of us have our struggles. All of us have our things that I think, if you're familiar with the Bible verse that Paul says, there's this thorn in my side that I've asked God to take away from me three times and he hasn't done it, that for some of you, that's not what you're dealing with. You're dealing with something that um, God is wanting to heal. It's just a matter of whether or not our belief is willing to receive the healing that God wants to give us. Now, it, that you, if you come from a various background, you might hear that like, oh, my faith's not big enough for me to be healed, and that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, and we're, we're just going to get right into it uh, here in Luke chapter 5, and this is why I, we can go for multiple weeks. I, I've highlighted a bunch of things here in, in Luke chapter 5, um, but what Jesus does here, I'm going to point it out, and when I point it out to you, if you haven't seen it before, it should blow your mind about how we see and understand God's heart towards us when it comes to us living a full and abundant life, which is what Jesus called us to. So if we believe in Jesus and we put our trust in Jesus, it's not about believing in God. I've actually changed the way that I'm starting to interact with people. He says, hey, man, are you a believer? You believe in God? And I heard somebody say, and I forgot who it was. Actually, it was uh, Rachel something or other. She wrote um, 12 uh Confronting Christianity, 12, 12 hard questions about Christianity. I highly recommend the book. I'll share it later. Um, but she just, when she talks to people, she's like, hey, do you trust in Jesus? So she skips over the belief in God part, and she goes immediately to, hey, do you trust in Jesus? And that was really convicting for me uh, because, you know, even Jesus says, like, the demons believe in God, and they shudder. But we would say, hey, are you a believer? Oh, yeah, of course I'm a believer. What do I believe in, though? And that's where we go from, okay, I believe in God, but what do I believe about God? to do I trust in Jesus? And if I trust in Jesus, then what I'm going to hopefully reveal to you in a new way here in Luke chapter five will then impact the way that you believe God and believe God's heart towards you. So uh, we're just gonna get right into it. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up. If not, I'm gonna have the verse on the screen. So. Um, and we're, gonna, we're just going to pick up right in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, where Jesus heals a paralyzed man that was lowered through the roof. So here we go. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat 
some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat, and they tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. And this is huge. If you have your Bibles, like I would, I would underline that right now. Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and the teachers said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So this is, this is where we, t- we get into the prophetic. So this is a, a popular verse for us, section of verses where we see the prophetic at work and we see God's healing power at work. And so this is, uh, Jesus knew what they were thinking. He, he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. All right? And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with the great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. So, we're going we're gonna to touch on a couple of different things here. Um, but before I go any further, I, I want to just back up, and I, and I want to make sure that you see this. Um, when, it, when Jesus says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven, stand up and walk, and when Jesus actually says to the man, what he actually says to the man is stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. That when Jesus laid down that, you know, he didn't even like speak to the fact that he could forgive sins. He actually like totally ignored that. And he went in and he said, stand up and go home. He didn't even tell, like when he says your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk, he's he's specifically and purposefully um, saying those questions, like saying that statement or, or saying um, those two things to the Pharisees because they would understand what he's saying. When he says stand up and walk, it's the same word that we get in First uh, John chapter two verse six um, or First John chapter one six through seven, and in the in the way that like sins are forgiven in this sense and stand up and walk uh, are two are two like one he's speaking to uh, belief and the other one he's speaking to action, okay. And initially, he says, son of man, your faith has, uh, your sins are forgiven. Your faith, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven, right? Young man, your sins are forgiven. So he doesn't say, be healed. Um, He doesn't say anything else other than, young man, your sins are forgiven. And then he gets questioned by the religious leaders, and he says, okay, what should I do? Your sins are forgiven, or stand up and walk. And it's the stand up and walk piece that would have really, it would have been like a middle finger kind of to the, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees because when it talks about walk, and I'll get to there later, um, I mean, he's really, he's done this multiple times in his interactions with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how much they make it so hard for people to really encounter the kingdom of heaven because of all of the religious practices that they put in place. And so they, they nitpick, they split hairs, um, and Jesus uses some really colorful language, actually, in Matthew 23, that we'll get to in a little bit, um, that, I mean, he, he, he really confronts uh, the Pharisees. And so when he says, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home, he doesn't say, 
stand up and walk. He says, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And ha, this, is, this is so huge because for this, I'll get there later. Okay, I'm going to write that down. Okay, so triangle. Very simple. If you're familiar with the Trinity, the Trinity is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? God, Holy Spirit, and Jesus. They're co-equal, all together as one. It's really hard for us to understand exactly what the Trinity is. If anybody's being honest with you, if anybody has like a set answer on what the Trinity is, outside of saying like, well, this is what we think the Trinity is, and this is our best way of explaining what the Trinity is. Anybody who says, no, this is what the Trinity is, and this is why the Trinity is the way to the Trinity, and blah, 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 I would come back to them and say, like, hey, can you, can you show me exactly, like, where it says Trinity in the Bible? Um, we know that God, Holy Spirit, and Jesus are co-equal. They're together in union. Um, there are three parts in one whole or one that, like, again, it's really hard for us in Western thinking to see three and, and have, it be, have it be one. Um, so, uh, if you have questions about that, I am unable to see the chat because of where I'm at in Keynote, so hold your, I'll get to those in a bit. So, the triangle, God, Son, and Holy Spirit, and if we replace those with God, we want to encounter God that happens through revelation by the Holy Spirit, and it's actually Jesus who came to teach us to think differently. Okay, so if we look at the Trinity, uh, we're just using it as a, a metaphor, as an analogy, as a springboard for us for discussion tonight about what I think Jesus was, was doing um, in Luke chapter 5 when he says, get up and go home. Okay, so Jesus comes, helps us to think differently, because remember, I said this at worship night, um, it says it in, in Hebrews chapter 1, when it says that Jesus uh, was the radiance of God's glory, he was the exact representation of God's nature towards humanity, that when Jesus came, he came to show us who God was, he didn't come to show God um, that he should care about humanity, so Jesus causes us to think differently, uh, and this is where we get the word repent from. So Jesus um, comes and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And repent means to turn around. And we see that actually later on in Luke chapter 5, verse 32. In Luke chapter 5 entirely, we're going to see like all the key words that we need for spiritual growth to see um, and think differently just in one chapter. That when we think differently, then that leads us into an encounter with God. And then out of our encounter with God, the Holy Spirit, uh, in Acts chapter 2, when they were seeing the crazy things of Pentecost, there's two questions that came out of Acts chapter 2 was, what does this mean and what must I do? And so whenever we encounter God in a real way, then there are two questions that we need to ask are, what does this mean? What must I do? That's the revelation. What does this mean? Okay, the revelation. What must I do? Okay, that's Jesus. So how do I, so I hope you're starting to pick up on this now. Like whenever we have um, like every situation is an invitation from God. 
okay? Even in your struggles, in your temptations, in your depression, in your anxiety, uh, in the things that you feel hampered down by, even in those moments, those are invitations to encounter God. And out of that encounter, he wants to reveal something new about himself to help you think differently. And then it leads you right back again into the cycle of encounter, revelation, and think differently. Okay? Now, when we are not encountering God and we're not receiving revelation from the Holy Spirit and we're not thinking differently by looking at Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, we get caught in um, a slightly different triangulation. And that is sin, self-justification, um, and to be schematized. schematized. Um, and that's the, that's the Greek word that leads us to schematic. Um, and so... In, and I've got three different verses that I'm going to use to kind of like set this up for us, okay? And so we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. So hopefully you're writing this down, that when we are not in a cycle of encounter, revelation, and thinking differently, and, and going through that again, we're actually getting caught up in a cycle of sin, which leads to self-justification, and which leads us uh, to, to um, schematize which is to be patterned after something that's not Jesus. And we want to be patterned after who Jesus is. So uh, this is out of the Mirror Bible. It's a paraphrased Bible by Francis Dutrois. Um, the Holman Christian Standard translation for this is really good. But um, this is what I took out of the Mirror Bible, is picture where God found us, Ephesians chapter 2. We were in a death trap of an inferior lifestyle, constantly living below the blueprint, which is sin there in the Greek, the measure of our lives, the blueprint measure of our lives. We are all part of a common pattern swept along under a powerful, invisible influence, a spirit energy that adopted us um, as sons to its dictates through unbelief. Oh, there's, a, there's a spelling error. So I hope you, you heard that. A spirit energy that adopted us as sons to its dictates through unbelief. Throughout that time, every one of us were warped and corrupted in our conduct, snared in a jumble of forbidden lusts, driven by the desires of the senses, completely engaged in an expression of a life ruled by mind games. And it was, this, it was as if a twisted passion parented a universal breed of people. And based on the translation that you're reading, you're actually going to see there at the end in verses 2 and 3 that it says um, that we became um, objects of God's anger. And Actually, like that word anger is not there in the Greek. Um, in other translations, you'll see that we became objects of God's wrath. Uh, and that's the Greek word horge. And horge actually uh, is a noun that is a third person. Um, it is not something that God enacts first person towards us. It's almost when God acts in wrath, it's actually um, not it's like a removal of his presence. So even in the Old Testament, when we see that God's wrath was poured out on the Israelites, um, it was a removal of his presence because anything apart from his presence is death. And so, um, but that's a whole other conversation for another time. But so that's um, when we get caught up in sin. Sin then is this word in the Greek called hamartia. Uh, and that is from ha, which means negative or without, um, and from meros, which means portion or form. So when you take ha and meras, this is Greek words. And this is, if you're really interested in diving into, the Bible really comes to life when we dive into the original scriptures. Uh, and this is something that there are um, free courses online uh, to help you to, to learn this stuff. Even if you pick up a transliterated transliteration book that breaks down the Greek and the English for you, that's, that's what I use. I only have a year 
of Greek study. Um, other than that, everything else is I've been doing on my own since then, um, and it's very accessible. But in this Ephesians chapter 2, uh, it talks about sin. Um, Francis paraphrases it as blueprint because of how the word sin in the Greek breaks down, negative or without form. So thus to be without your allotted portion or without form, pointing to a disoriented, distorted, bankrupt identity. So when we're caught up in sin, we're not encountering God, but we're caught up in sin, that means that we are without our allotted portion or without our form. So that then leads us into a disorientation, distorted, and bankrupt identity and puts us in that cycle then of self-justification. So then when we are, in a sense, in our mind and led to unbelief, as we read there in Ephesians chapter 2, then we get out of our encounter with God. We're without our allotted form and then we get into a place of self-justification because apart from God, it's just us, okay? So we get into self-justification. Now, self-justification, Matthew 23. And this is where Jesus really starts throwing down the hammer on the Sadducees and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and every impurity. In the same way, on the outside you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And if you, I mean, I took out some of the really harsh stuff. He talks about like swallowing camels and pooping out gnats like straining out gnats. Like it gets, Jesus gets super graphic when he's putting the Pharisees in their place because the Pharisees were in a place that um, it says earlier on in Matthew 23, it says in verse five that everything they did was for the people to see. And some of you are there right now. Some of you, like, I'm a Christian, and when I show up to do Christian things, like, I have to be a certain way because there's this expectation of me as a Christian that people are seeing. And I want to encourage you that, like, when you are not in that place where you are feeling really Christian, like, be vulnerable, be transparent about it, because it's very easy to when we're not encountering God. Because when we're encountering God and we're full of that joy, then we don't fall into self-justification. We, we, we fall into revelation. And that revelation then leads us to think differently. And then we invite people into the encountering cycle, the encountering process of our relationship with God. And then they have an encounter with God, which then the Holy Spirit reveals something to them that God wanted to speak directly to them, which causes them to think differently. You see what I'm saying? But when we fall out of this place of encountering God, then... We fall into this place of self-justification, and that is what happened to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They stopped encountering God, okay? And even says in verse 13 of Matthew 23, you shut out, you shut the people out of the kingdom, you shut the door to the kingdom in their faces. You don't enter yourselves, nor will you let those who are trying to enter, enter, and if they do, they're actually worse off than when they were before they came in, because they would strap them on then with all of these things, that they needed to do. And so self-justification sucks. And I think all of us in here have been stuck in a place at some point or another where we were just relying on ourselves um, in droughts of recognizing and believing that God encounters are everywhere for us. And so then that leads us to this last one, which is schematize. Um, and that's when we're not, we're not being 
patterned after Jesus. We're not being conformed to his image. Um, we're actually falling into the pattern of the world, and that's Romans chapter 12. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. So in the Greek, in that verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, that's where you're going to see that schematize, or you're being, um, that whatever the world is, the schematics of the world, you're actually starting to look more like that schematic than you are if, Je like, according to the blueprint and schematics of Jesus and the kingdom. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so um, that word transformed is the word metamorphe which uh, I talked about this at worship night, actually, uh, over a month ago, was that whenever something goes through a metamorphosis process, uh, it's actually a couple words again. The word meros, which is the stem of morphe, as in Romans chapter 12 um, of the word metamorphe, which means with form. And so whatever your form was before, to be um, metamorphosed, metamorphed means you go from where you were to a completely different version of yourself. So caterpillar to butterfly, that's the imagery. Okay. And if you were connecting and you were taking notes, you're going to see then that sin is actually made up of the same stem, meros, that is in transformation. That sin actually is the disorientating and distortion of your identity and less about the actions that you're doing. So in Luke chapter 5, when... Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. He's speaking, he's, if you look, he says, because of your faith, okay, faith is what you believe is possible to be true. And like in that, he says, your faith, your sins are forgiven. So in his belief, his form was being reoriented to that of which Jesus was coming to show us. And so then they say, well, you can't forgive sins because they were associating it with their walk. And so he then says, <laughs> he then says, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk. Because the Pharisees were like, if you were injured or you were paralyzed like that man was, it was because of sin. It was because of things that you did or your parents or your great dang grand, like for a thousand generations, like if somebody did something wrong and you were paying the price for him, it was a very bad Jewish understanding of karma and that's what the Pharisees believe. So, like, in Jesus' understanding, like, he spoke to them in a way that they understood. Like, dude, this guy didn't do anything wrong. And then, two, should I just tell him to get up and do the right thing? That's not it at all. Because, if anything, Jesus is saying that it's our belief that leads to our healing. It is the belief in our actual true identity in Jesus that we're then transformed to look more like him. Man, I just love when God like breaks into a moment. I in in that moment where I pause for a second and I'm breaking down the difference of what Jesus is talking about when he he asks the Pharisees, is it easier to tell him to get up and walk, but instead tells the paralyzed man, pick up your mat and go home 
man, I'm, I'm really going to do some, some deeper research into what home meant. I know when it says pick up your mat in the Greek, it actually means little couch, which is, you know, for a lot of us, we're sitting on our couches a lot right now. Uh, we're, we're being asked to stay home. So we're very interesting times. But Jesus doesn't talk to the man about the things that he ought to be doing. He, he speaks to him in the place where he really is operating from, and that is from an, a position of faith. He wasn't operating from a position of performance and religious obligations, but instead he said, man, if there's any hope that I have, it's in this guy, Jesus. And it's in his faith that Jesus acknowledges, man, it's your faith that has forgiven you your sins. Because Jesus, when he goes and dies on the cross for us, it's to allow us to come back into this place that we have been separated from, which is the presence of God. But we have to believe and trust in Jesus that whatever thing he said and everything he did is true. And in so doing, then, he is the door that opens us into a place of union with God that gives us the hope for a brighter future to live an abundant life and to become everything that God sees when he looks at us. And it all starts with this guy, Jesus, and it starts with believing that Jesus wants us to have that type of life. And that's what I love about this this part in in Luke chapter 5. Hey, come back next week. Subscribe to this podcast because we're going to go into a little bit further the surrounding passages in Luke chapter 5, even maybe parallel a little bit of Matthew 9 in there. And we're really, we're going to have some fun with this. We're going to be in this every Wednesday night for a little while. So again, if you want to be in on that call, make sure you email me at nolanryanrecker at gmail.com and I'll get you the information to that Zoom call on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Bless you guys. Have a great rest of your week. To be fighting for what's right Though I fail at times I watch all the see logically We can be free through a small check Until the dark sees the light Until the weak lands the fight Until mass sees what we deserve Our place is here on earth I'll wait for truth to be the fire wait till ages show the side I'll wait till heaven arrives Check my place will come with time Love develops from patience That comes from deep motivation And lacks of complete complication A place of free confirmation I never say I'm complacent But still I need alteration No one's a Perfect creation Look to still separation Take away desperation Revealing our destination Setting free all the nations Defeating all devastation Life came through great tribulation Improving man's situation Our lives are his location Also we can see heaven's gates Heaven's gates